This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen, as this is the Wednesday edition of the program. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. Also, again, I got to remember to do this every once in a while. Uh, we are on the air here, uh, live for a couple of more weeks, and uh, then for a month. Is that a nice way to put it? Mothballs? I don't know. Actually, going to be getting ready for uh, Kelly and Romeo. It's still available as a podcast. So, uh, however you listen to it, still available to you uh, when we return to the air. But I just want people to keep that as a as a note that uh, we will be here live for another two and a half weeks before we uh, take that uh, little sabbatical and start getting everything together for that launch on January 9th. But still. Many shows ahead, so let's get to what's coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Company. The Sky's the Limit Youth Organization has a special upcoming anniversary. We're going to learn more about the organization and its mission with Margaret Weldon in just a little while. Talking some sports today as well. Canadian Blind Hockey hosted their Western Regional Tournament in Calgary last weekend, and Jim Crisco has the details on that. What is employee engagement and how does it differ from just liking your job? Alicia Yardley joins us in hour two from our HR department to talk to us about it and explain that, as I said, in hour two here on Kelly and Company. Well, folks, watch parties. This is a big deal in Canada. They're planned all across the country today as soccer fans get ready for the World Cup uh, match in Qatar between Canada and Belgium. Its first game appearance in the tournament since 1986. In Montreal, a rivalry is brewing between the city's French-speaking Belgian community and fans of the Canadian team. The Canucks enter today's game in Group F as the overwhelming underdog. Canada is ranked 41st in FIFA standings. Belgium is second. But Canada received good news yesterday when it was revealed that winger Alfonso Davies has recovered from a hamstring injury and was declared fit to play. Game time in Qatar is set for 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. So they're just setting up now, ladies and gentlemen, as we listen to this. And if you're listening to this uh, on podcast or, or one of the repeats, of course, uh, the game has since been done. But for those of you listening live right now, not to send you away, record it or something, but uh, yeah, big big deal here in Canada. So many people getting interested and, and booking afternoons off to be there since it's the mm-hmm. first time Canada's been there. What would you say, Ramya, even outside of sports, anything that's been big in your lifetime that you felt kind of like you were jumping on board and supporting? Uh, I have to bring sports in because when the Raptors made the playoffs and then won the playoffs, it was just humongous. And you felt like uh, sports or not, and you know, if you're really going to be stickler about this, you can say bandwagoners or not. Um, it felt like we were all kind of there, right? And I think just being there, as in the 
as it is with the the FIFA World Cup right now. Um, being there, it happening right now, people getting excited, people actually paying attention to. Like, if I were to call my mom right now, she would know what's going on. Even though none of us watch soccer in the family, it's just a big deal. And uh, I think that that part of it is just it's fun. It's communal. I think that would be the same for me. Um Maybe some tennis matches over the years because I'm not really a big fan. Tennis more though, more so than soccer a, a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, from when I was a kid, I used to really enjoy watching it. But I think th- the build-up to this, watching Canada try to get to the qualifying and all the things to even remotely make it into this tournament, that I jumped on board and found kind of fun over the past couple of years to, uh, to, to watch. Um, one of the big things that's always held me back is not enough announcing when i watch soccer there's more like minutes at a time where i'm like hey man what's going on what is going on here so that kind of has held me back all my life from being a fan uh is it the same for you with uh audio though like when you're listening on radio because i know you've mentioned in other sports you'd rather the radio feed uh, in a lot of cases, yeah. I mean, I love the sound in so- soccer uh, on TV because I find there's so many more microphones. You get a lot more of the, the kicking of the ball and stuff. But to be honest with you, radio broadcasts have become better at covering that too and tapping into that audio because why not? It's all there. should be available for everyone. So you do get a lot more, but there's certainly a lot more description as as the announcers give you uh, the play-by-play and their comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we go over our book of the month? Yes, we can. We're in the middle of reading The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn, and this is recommended to us by Julie Martin. Human narrated audio on Sila, so check it out. I love this narrator as well. An unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper, based on a true story as well. In the snowbound city of Kiev, uh, Rye and bookish history student Myla Pavlikenko organizes her life around her library job and her young son. But Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. And given a rifle sent to join the fight, Myla must forge herself from studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. And when news of her third... 300th kill makes her a national heroine. Myla finds herself torn from the bloody battlefields of the Eastern Front and sent to America on a goodwill tour where she's still reeling from war wounds and devastated by loss. But she does find some people, including Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, that makes her journey an interesting one. So we're talking about it next Tuesday. That is November 29th, the last Tuesday of the month with Julie and yourselves. If you wish to send us a comment, feedback at ami.ca is where you can write to us. And one 509 4545 is where you can call and leave a, a voicemail message. The federal agency overseeing Canada's national parks says that over $40 million of damage from two earlier Atlantic storms uh, far eclipsed the damage in the region due to post-tropical storm uh, Fiona. We go back to Karen Riveau. Parks Canada says a wind and rainstorm in November of last year caused $36 million worth of damage at Nova Scotia's Cape Breton Highlands National Park. The agency says the storm hit hard and caused a complete washout of the Cabot Trail in one area with a 15-kilometre stretch of road requiring three weeks of emergency repairs. And a winter storm this past February that required an emergency closure of a damaged kilometre-long stretch of the roadway cost another $4.5 million. 
Parks Canada expected Fiona to cause similar damage in September, but officials tell the Canadian press the impact was nowhere near as severe as the two other storms. Karen Rebo, the Canadian press. Very interesting because, of course, we are talking about the property, those things, but you, you can't even quantify damage to trees and so on. But when you think about all that done to the parks and, and, and the land itself, um, again, nowhere near, uh, obviously, the toll on property and, and people's, uh, you know, homes and so on and businesses, Ramya, uh, or all the boats and stuff like that. But uh, kind of shocking, kind of surprising when I heard that. Not exactly something I thought you know, I would hear as as yeah. hey, you know, uh, <laughs> look at here, look at this this damage, uh, and and sad, um, mm-hmm. but it does make you think yearly when we're not really paying attention that there doesn't have to be a big disastrous nope. storm to do that damage. So much happens. Yeah, Grant Hardy joins us next, folks. It's Wednesday. We'll talk health headlines in two minutes here on Kelly and Company. Our friends over there at the uh, Tripping on Air podcast, folks, are getting into the holiday spirit, I'm here to tell you. They're giving away a ton of prizes as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Go to ami.ca slash TOA contest to review the list of prizes and enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11.59 p.m. ET, so you better get on it. Please, also, one set of entries per day. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. So uh, if you want to be part of that, folks, better hop to it. A little more than a week to get your uh, entry in. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. I'm at the Home Studio London, Ontario. She at the Home Studio in Toronto. And we welcome in from Vancouver to talk health headlines, reporter Grant Hardy. Welcome back. Grant, how are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Sir, where do you want to begin? Yeah, lots to get to today. Let's start with an article from CBC News. Uh, Nunavut and Ontario joined a federal effort to boost number of organ and tissue donors. So these two provinces have agreed to take part in a federal initiative to ensure the viability of Canada's organ and tissue donation system. Uh, they've agreed to the addition of a question on your income tax returns, asking filers for permission to share contact information with provinces and territories. When people in those jurisdictions mark a box on the form, provincial governments will send those people information about how they can register for organ and tissue donations. So it's important to remember that it doesn't automatically opt you in. But the federal government says the initiative is necessary because less than a quarter of Canadians are registered organ and tissue donors. Advocates say that's not enough to ensure all Canadians who need a donation get one. The group is in the midst of a campaign to register 120,000 more organ donors by April 1st. So far, they've signed up a little over 61,000. Uh, now, interestingly, the Ontario community with the lowest registration rate is Markham, with a rate of 16%, while the jurisdiction with the highest registration rate is Russell. Uh, 60% of, register, of residents in Ontario 
are registered. And interestingly, uh, what I would not have expected is that the jurisdictions with the least amount of registered donors are actually those around Toronto. Interesting, wow. huh? Not, wow. Not, well, not when you typically... think, and, and, and when you think about population base, that's I think where it makes you stop and say, "Well, hold it." First of all, you have a, a, a lot of potential donors as well as you know potential need right there, uh, you know, in in that that area due to the high population. And I remember Grant as a kid when they would say, you know. Uh, on your donor card or, or your license and so on. And, you know, like, oh, I can't get a driver's license. And, and I remember hearing about it at, I have to say the age of 10 or something um, via television and instantly wanted, wanted to sign in and, and, and just mm-hmm. make sure it was really interesting because it really took me when I, when I first heard it, of course, I've known you know people who have, who have spoke highly uh, ab- about it, who are uh, recipients and have been on this program on now with Dave Brown. And we've had the, those discussions about what it means. And I've heard people speak about it and how much that donation, how far it can go if someone donates uh, their body in the case of their own death. Um, it's really amazing what gets done. And to hear that, yeah, it's, it's still not enough, guys. We, we still need more. Wow. So we've got work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of respecting people's bodily autonomy. And so I can understand why an opt-out system instead of opt-in might not be uh, exactly what people want. But I think the thing that I'm concerned about is just the fact that uh, probably, a, I, I would imagine a significant amount of people who aren't registered would be fine with people using their, their organs, uh, being organ donors, but either the process is too bureaucratic. They just yeah. thought about it. There's maybe a, a language barrier. So, yeah. and and that's re- really unfortunate because if anything, like I don't know, doesn't it not only feel good, but you kind of want to think. I don't know. This sounds morbid, but you're I don't know. You're living on, or part of you is I don't know. Your legacy is a bit stronger, mm-hmm. maybe as an organ donor. You know? Yeah. And and that's true, too. Like the assumption, Kelly, you touched on it as well, of people assuming that it's after you die that these things come up is really not the case. And that part of it is um, a lot to struggle with for for many of us. Right. Like assumptions and everything aside, you know, what is prohibiting or slowing down? People from wanting to to donate organs. And I, you'll I feel find like there's that just even not enough uh, with blood donation, you'll even notice Everything. that some people are not comfortable with plasma or platelets. Maybe giving whole blood, but there's so much Tissue else. Tissue donation, on that level. like, do yeah. we even know what that means? What that process is? <laughs> you know, it, none of it, right? Like, we we barely uh, have touched the surface. So all these people who are um, putting in their their work to try to get this out there is huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, things like blood donation, um, that, I mean, that's super important, obviously. I I can understand how people who are uncomfortable with with needles or, you know, that has, that is a a, sort of a painful process to it. But there's, there's very little reason, I think, for most people why donating their organs after death would not be feasible. 
I, for religious reasons, for sure. But, you know, just some, someone like me, I, I certainly can't imagine any kind of a downside. So, mm. yeah, I encourage anyone out there listening who's thinking about it, this could be a good opportunity to register yeah. if you're not uh-huh. already. Yeah. yeah, and there's just, it was, I know during the pandemic, it was a really tough time and we heard a lot of <clears throat> upsetting things of, of organs literally going to waste where people were waiting for them and things just because of the shutdowns and everything and surgeries, there was some very scary stories. And I hope that hasn't caused people too to be alarmed or concerned. We understand that's something that happened. It's something we hope never to have happen again in our lifetime. Obviously something that can happen, uh, pandemics, but there were circumstances. So hopefully people understand the value and how much good it can do in in the eventuality that uh, you are in the situation to become a donator. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So listen, I want to talk about a bit of a heavier subject here, which is signs that you're in a toxic relationship, if that's okay with you guys. Um, Certainly. I guess maybe just a warning if you're you know, going through this or you, you feel you may be triggered by this, so just exercise and self-care. Um, but this is from BBC Science Focus magazine, and I thought this was uh, interesting. So the now, the, the toxic label isn't actually a scientific term, they say, but it's generally used to imply that a partner is exerting some kind of harmful control or abuse, whether physical, psychological, sexual, over their partner, uh, and usually involves the victim feeling trapped in the relationship. Now, sometimes, of course, that can be very, uh, you know, uh, obvious, and it, it's useful to go through uh, some of those scales that the professionals use, for example, like does my partner feel make me feel afraid or threatened even just in my own home or even without uh, ta- uh, touching me? Um, and if that's the case, like you really do need to get out and seek some help immediately. Um, but psychological control and coercion can also take many forms, such as isolating you from financial or emotional support, restricting your access to friends and family, monitoring your behavior with spyware or other devices, making you feel worthless via insults or public shaming, uh, and enforcing rules upon you that make you feel humiliated. If your partner makes you doubt your own judgment, this is also manipulative and sometimes referred to as gaslighting. Again, it can be insightful to look at ways that uh, researchers measure these kinds of things. For instance, uh, scholars at the Autonomous University of Madrid recently investigated why teenage victims stayed in physically abusive relationships. Uh, They used a measure of psychological coercion specifically towards staying committed to the relationship that involved statements such as, my partner encourages me to believe that life is meaningless outside of the relationship and my partner makes me feel that I should be grateful to him or her for staying in the relationship. Uh, now, they also, all, all of these are related to your partner's behavior, but another incompo- uh, important component is how the relationship makes you feel. This is really key. So if the stress of your relationship is severely affecting your sleep, if you feel constantly emotionally drained, such as being made to feel guilty, ashamed, or afraid, or if you're manifesting physical symptoms as a consequence of the unhappiness, or if you just dread seeing your partner, uh, that's a really, really good indication that you need to get out and 
depending on the relationship to seek some help. So that's just an info from uh, BBC Science Focus magazine that I wanted to throw up there today. Awesome. Thank you for bringing that forward and you know, sharing that with us. And, and I think for, for people overall, it gives us something to think about, watch, and, and especially people in your life, um, maybe to keep an eye, but mostly those who uh, maybe are, are answering some of those questions with a, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Thanks for sharing um, that, Grant. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ron. The, uh, the um, part that, sorry, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts. So the part that talked about, you know, social media, red flags, the word toxic, mm-hmm. not necessarily being a scientific thing. I think that that stuff is really important to talk about because even though you know, we're not always thinking specifically and noticing specific signs, Grant. It's all part of this conversation that's now happening, right? Like here they're they're even they've done studies on teenagers, teenage relationships, and, mm. and we're getting younger and younger when we're having these conversations. That to me is so mm. important. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's absolutely true. And I also think that you know, it's interesting just to do a little bit of personal introspection to like, look, yes. I think we, a lot of us have been there. Like, why is my partner talking to this other person? Like at the opposite sex or why are they doing this? Or why are they doing that? But I, I guess it's just interesting to think like, instead of, you know, maybe lashing out at your partner or trying to, mm-hmm. to control who they communicate you know to kind of decide like do i do i trust my partner like if so maybe trust both of our our judgment or or seek a a couple's counselor but don't just like snoop through their phone or try and control who they communicate with absolutely like uh, how you're bringing yourself to the relationship as well and and that goes along with the reflection they're talking about in this article right about um how you're feeling how you're feeling about this relationship, about who you are in this relationship, who that other person is, and and the way that you are both connecting. Uh, lots of lots of great points. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like one other one would be, um, you know, and this is something honestly I've dealt with too in the past. Is let you know, let's say you have like some separation anxiety about not yes. being with your partner for a while. You know, it's important listen, I'm not an expert, but I, from what I've heard, it's important to do some introspection about like, okay, how am I portraying this to my partner? Mm-hmm. Like, am I portraying this as, when are you going to see me? What are you doing? Etc. Or am I like, okay, if this is something I need to deal with my emotions with, you know, counselor about, you know, that's one thing that, right. that maybe you need to do that, but just, just separating, just separating all that out. So it's not like, the relationship yeah yeah verbal back towards your partner doesn't make any sense for Mm -hmm. sure grant awesome thank you for bringing this forward thank you for the items today all right guys thanks so much hope that wasn't too heavy hey that's it's it's all some important be back with some lighter quirky stories a little later on today (laughs) he's gonna go and switch hats (laughs) ladies and gentlemen grant hardy bringing us our health headlines as he mentioned he will be back a little later on with what in the world on the program but up next the sky's the limit youth organization has a special upcoming anniversary we're going to learn about the organization and its mission with margaret weldon in two minutes
On Twitter, you can locate AMI-audio. Simple. The handle is at AMI-audio. You can follow along with the show, see what's happening, and, of course, interact. That's at AMI-audio on Twitter. Rumya is available at AllRams with a Z. That's at AllRams. And I'm at AMI-Kelly-Mac. AMI-Kelly-Mac. Always love to uh, get a chance to uh, chat with you online and know you're out there. Appreciate your time. If you want to uh, see a little bit more about Accessible Media Inc., check out the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Great way to keep up with what's going on, interact, and see some good video clips and things like that that make up the content over here at Accessible Media Inc. That's their Facebook page. Like it, folks. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. On Wednesdays, every other week, we get in the know with Margaret Weldon, and she's going to be joining me later on in the week as well when Kelly takes some time off. But today, we're talking about what to do with those computers that we don't use anymore. So, Margaret, you're going to answer this question uh, for us with a bit of a shout out, a great initiative that we can consider consider and take into uh, take in mind. So, what is Sky is the limit youth organization. Okay, and that's a great conver- that's a great question, Ramya. And yeah, Kelly gets all the breaks, doesn't he? Hey, the long weekend. Doesn't he though? Um, Sky. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, that's all right. Anyway, the Sky is the, the is the limit youth organization is um, an organization that is put together, um, and it looks to collect refurbished computers as well as uh, financial donations to donate computers to youth who need them across the province of Ontario so that they can keep up with their classes and their friends in school as well as learn how to communicate appropriately on social media platforms. Wow. Okay. Very, very interesting. And I love that. I love that, especially the social media platforms, getting out there because we know to navigate those can be a a tricky thing, but we'll get into that later. Uh, What is the mission of the organization? Okay, so the the, uh, mission of the organization is to make sure that every youth um, that needs a computer has one, regardless of their uh, religion, disability, creed, belief, whatever. They want to make sure that all kids have them. And they also want to make sure that not only do they have them, but they want them to have the appropriate training as well, right? Because we all know that, number one, yes, there's a lot of social platforms out there. There's a lot of media out there, good and bad. You know, there's media that's informative, and there's media that's not so informative. There's media that can be very hurtful. So they want to make sure that when these uh, kids get the computers, they not only understand that, yes, you can communicate, you know, with your friends on them, you can look things up, but there is bad stuff too, and we want you to know how to look for that and how to protect yourself from that sort of bad media. So that those discussions are obviously front and center, foremost with them. Yes, that's right. That's, that's right. I mean, you know, let's face it. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean, I know when I first got into the computers, I, I was so fascinated with everything that was out there. I never thought about media that could hurt people. Did you? I mean, Kelly, I I know you probably got into them around the same time I did. Yeah, and again, I I was always curious. I never, I I think for me, I thought, well, yeah, but the stuff that I'm going to be reading is going to come from credible sources and things like that. At that point, you never thought of this thing other than a CB radio, a social media, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's right. How about you, Ramya? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. How about you, Ramya? Did you, like, like, did you ever learn about... Uh, positive or negative media when you were getting your training on computer, or did you ever think that such a thing could be could exist? 
Well, not when we were younger, right? And that's the thing. So now people are using computers from such a young age. Uh, you're not you're kind of born knowing how to use a computer and use your technology because that's the era we live in. Um, so positive and negative media has to be part of the conversation from the get go. Uh, whereas for us, we went through that phase of understanding, realizing, and then learning uh, formally what that could look like. But Margaret, when you were putting this segment together, you discovered that the organization had two very important um, points in this mission statement. Have you covered those already or do do you want to talk about those? No, 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 no. We can talk about them. Okay, perfect. Um, Actually, okay, I I will be quite honest. There are actually three points, but the second point is a land acknowledgement, um, which talks about um, how they are on the Mississaugas of of the credit and and they recognize and they're very grateful to our um, Canadian native ans or Canadian indigenous ancestors, and I think that point is important because if it really wasn't for our native ancestors, um, we wouldn't be here. But the two points that I personally liked on this particular website is number one, everybody's kids or nobody's kids. And I think that's so important because I so you know so often you hear about some kids getting everything and other kids getting nothing, and it, it, you know just different sort of negative connotations in there. So I really like the fact that it stresses equality. And the second point that I like on here is it says we believe in a healthy, just, and fair community for all. And again, it just goes back to the fact that they that both these points um, talk about equality and fairness, not just for you know not just for uh, just, you know, a few kids, but for everybody. And I think that's so important to have. Well, and I think that's the big key because we talk a lot of time, Margaret, about, and, and we do it in the you know, disability world of what is important? What should we all have? What is the necessities of life? And there's times that's always debatable as to, well, do you really need that? Or is that a necessity? Um, and I think when you look at anyone, whether there's a cultural difference, whether there's men, women, there are certain things that we 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 all need as, as human beings is really what would make life easier to get through. And I think nowadays we all agree that uh, computer assistance, the digital world is it. Um, how does the organization's team members determine who will receive a laptop? Okay, so this organization, the Sky is the, the Limit Youth Organization, works with a large variety of community-based organ, organizations across Ontario who um, work with kids and those people who work with those kids determine what youth need the laptops and how much they need them and, and what they're going to use them for and things like that. They also make sure that, um, you know, they've, they've got some experience before they get the laptops, and then they make sure, too, that these youth get the continued training and supervision that's required to make sure that, you know, things are going well and, once again, to cover that sort of, to, to make, maintain the ongoing training that we talked about earlier in the segment. Yeah, the follow-up is, I'd say, one of the most important, the mm-hmm. key aspects of this initiative, right? It's not, here's a laptop, good luck. <laughs> There's a lot yeah, more right. to it. That's right. That That's right. Yes. Well, um, you know, and I think one of the things, too, um, I, I was reading a few testimonials, and I, I laughed at one person on there who said, you know, one of the problems that I had when I first got the laptop was that it really was mine, and I really could put it down and go to sleep and wake up, and it would still be there in the morning. Yeah. Like, you know, I, he said, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to play on it all the time. 
And who doesn't have that well, feeling? And when I they get, think that you know, doesn't change, Margaret. We can say, well, when I first got my first computer, it was the cost, the money, and our family saying, whoa, it was just so unbelievable. But I'm sorry. I think there are so many people because we get forgetting, hey, man, this isn't something everybody just picks up or has a right to when they walk in the store. Hey, by the way, oh, you don't have a computer yet? Here you go. You know, it, it's not like yes. that. So you do get that excitement that, wow, and, and nobody's coming to take this away? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I mean, it's sad on the one hand, but it was just funny to to hear about it. He's, you know, he says I, I laugh about it now, and that was sort of one of the testimonial things that um, that I that I took away from this. But yes, you're right, Kelly. I mean, it's not something that everybody does have a right to have, and yeah, you know, they <clears throat> they are they are quite a bit of money too. So yeah, you've got a good point there. Um, so let's keep going here about the initiative, the the sky's the limit youth organization. They have a very special upcoming anniversary. So what are they doing to celebrate it, and what is it? Yes, the Sky is the Limit Youth Organization will be turning 20 in 2023. And right now they are trying to match um, any financial donation that they receive up to $20,000. And the idea is here's the you know the more money they get in, the more laptops they can get or purchase, and the more children they can serve. And this uh, campaign will be go- is, I guess, the first of its kind that they have ever had over there. So, um, and and so far they're saying that they're, you know, they've they've got uh, really really good success and positive feelings. And the second thing is that this campaign will be going until January the twentieth. I mean, you can still, you know, donate after the twentieth of January if you like to, but this particular campaign will be ending on the twentieth of January. So, I say hats off to the uh, to to this to the team members at this organization. For sure. And Margaret, I actually do feel that it, it is a right to have the digital support, the equipment. Um, everyone has a right to an education. This is the way education is. It's kind of like, I guess, years ago saying, well, not everybody has a right to paper and a pencil. And well, hold on. That's what? Right. You know, sure. Sure they do. And this is the way the world works this way. So besides changing the world, you know, lives out there of cho- of young people use one laptop at a time, Margaret. What other impact does Disguise the Limit youth organization have on our communities? And this is a great question because this is something that we can all think about. Now, apparently, um, according to a lot of companies and businesses, computers have anywhere from a two to a five-year lifespan, right, before the, before they're exchanged or updated or whatever. And what happens to the computers after that point is a lot of them get thrown out and they become e-waste. Now, e-waste is when computers either get buried on landfill sites or they get burned. Neither one of these uh, solutions are environmentally friendly because if they get buried, they contaminate the land and the water. If they get burned, they produce carcinogens or gases. So what this organization is also trying to do is to save the planet. Up to date now, they have managed to divert uh, 5,425 computers. So what they do, they take the old computers, and maybe, you know, there there might be something on them that doesn't work. So maybe they take one, one, you know, um, part from one computer, replace it in another. Who knows? I, I don't know. But what they try to do is they divert them by giving them, by fixing them up and giving them to youth. And they believe this is saving the uh, planet as well as, you know, trying to make sure the kids have what they need in terms of education. And uh, so they're saving the environment. And they're encouraging other people to do the same thing. I know I'm due for a new computer next year, and I think this is something I'm going to think about doing is, is donating yeah. uh, 
mine. Yeah. Anything like this. Anything. And you know what? Yeah. And I don't want to go on a tangent here, but the tech companies have a huge um, resource and have huge motivation to take back, like the trade-in that Apple does, right? To take back uh, laptops and batteries and phones and all of these different things. But it's nice and it's appreciated that organizations like this one will uh, take on some of that responsibility and say, hey, we know that this impact is humongous. So let's also work on that angle in saving the planet and lessening our uh, carbon footprints. But it's true. Like how much of our technology just gets tossed even still? It's it's very it's mind it's I, I'm sorry to to use your word Rami but it's mind boggling to think about isn't it when when you really stop and think from it it really is mind blowing I mean I sat here um, one of the points that they have on this website is they have ten uh, facts about e waste and it talks about just exactly the you know breaks down the effects besides yeah. the carcinogens and the contamination and it's really a lot Absolutely. to think about. Yeah. It is. So, and the thing is, we go and get new products every year, every two years, every three years. Like there's there's no very few of us who don't get some kind of new electronic or have to replace something electronic in our house um, within a year. Right. Like at least once a year, something has to be replaced. Something has died. Now, imagine instead of just tossing um, or even just donating, if we were able to take back some of this stuff and understand that it's being completely recycled and that every component was being reused. I mean, that's just yes. a dream. Yeah. Yes, yes, I, I think so too. And by the way, even though there was COVID on, um, this organization had plans in place so that youth could still get the computers they needed during COVID and they had safe you know, um, ways to make sure the computers were cleaned and sanitized and everything like that. And they still follow those practices today. Um, so I, I, you know, and I know somebody out there is going to say, yeah, okay, it's good to be a bit good about the environment, but what about COVID? But um, yeah, they've even got all that under control too. And you're right, Ramya, it's, it is a dream if people could just stop and say, okay, let's see what we can do to recycle some of the stuff and, 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 and update. Yeah. Yeah, Margaret, you. thank you so much for highlighting uh, the Sky is the Limit Youth Organization. Appreciate it on In the Know, and we'll chat with you later. That's fine. If you want to look it up, uh, info at stl.org. Awesome. Margaret Weldon on In the Know, the Sky is the Limit Youth Organization. We'll step aside for just a couple of moments. Canadian Blind Hockey hosted the Western Regional Tournament in Calgary last weekend. Jim Christo up next. He'll fill us in with all the details. Welcome back to the program, Romeo Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of Kelly and Company. She's at the home studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. Thank you for being with us wherever you're listening in around the world. Maybe you're checking us out at AMI.ca and uh, streaming the program as you can listen to AMI-audio right off the website. Or maybe you're uh, joining us from TuneIn Radio or the Radio Player Canada app. Great apps in which to listen in. Just simply download them to your smart device. 
Well, one of the things that we enjoy the most from you is getting a chance to speak to different people around the country, whether they be community reporters or some of our own staff that bring to us content, information of things going on in their regions, whether it's upcoming events or things that have recently happened or stories that have come across their desk. Today for our regional content report, we do these on Wednesdays and Fridays. Jim Crisco joins us. James, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. We're settled back in here and uh, doing what we do best, uh, having amazing conversations such as the one we're about to have with you. Um, we're not able to enjoy the soccer game live, sir. That's just not, not what we're able to do while we're sitting here. So let's start in Alberta with your first item and just ignore soccer altogether. Uh, recently, <laughs> the Canadian Pine Hockey hosted uh, their regional, oh, this is the Western, Western Regional uh, Hockey uh, Tournament in Calgary last weekend. Can you bring us up to speed on it? Sure. I, it, it, it actually sounded like a, a phenomenal event. And I, I have to say... I know some of the players that went down uh, from the Edmonton area. I've I've had the chance to skate with them uh, in practice, and um, uh, so some really phenomenal hockey players. They they uh, they said that for this event, there are more than forty visually impaired hockey players from across Canada, the United States, and as far as England uh, dropped in for the uh, for the regional tournament, and um, it was held at the the Windsport Canada Olympic Park. Uh, so there was, uh, you know, it was held in a really good venue. Uh, if you've ever been down there, the, uh, the, it featured 13 members of the champion 2022 Canadian national blind hockey team, along with 17 members or 17 players from Alberta. So, uh, so they really did a good job of bringing together a lot of great hockey players and not only to bring some, you know, some of the, 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 there was members of the, the Canadian team here, but not only that but use it as a chance to introduce the sport. Mm -hmm. Other people who are younger may not have played before, may not know much about the sport and bring people together in order to see what the sport's all about. So, uh, so an excellent, uh, uh, really an excellent program that they put together. I wonder um, when it comes to, of course, meeting the guys uh, who are, who are playing with Canada and, 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 you know, down there, the 13 that we're speaking of, then you've got the others. What a chance to, to start those relationships that, that will build into mentoring. Absolutely. You know, uh, like I said, I know some of the players on here that, you know, they're, they're passionate hockey players. They've, uh, they've, uh, some of them have, have played for a long time. Some of them, uh, just for the last few years, but, uh, you know, I look at, at, at players like Lauren Weber, who is on the, the, the goalie on the national hockey team. And I've had a chance. I know I know Lauren. I've I've played with him before. I always told him because I used to go out for practices with these guys uh, and play some shinny hockey. And I always said I'd I would have played longer if he would have let me score once in a while. But, um, <laughs> he, you know, <laughs> he he's he's just, you know, not only a phenomenal player, but a phenomenal guy. I know that if there's young people that are looking at the sport and saying, maybe this is something I can play, or maybe this is something I would enjoy. There's players like Lauren that'll, that'll mentor these people along and, and, and these folks along and, and, you know, get them comfortable with the sport. And I, I can guarantee you it's, it's infectious. Once people get a chance to play and once people get on the ice, uh, they, they love it and they go forward and, and, you know, you don't have to 
to to work towards the Paralympics in this. It's fun to play pickup hockey and just get out there and, and play with a bunch of friends. And that's what this, uh, you know, this affords that as well, is to, to get these people out, uh, get them introduced. And once you get the, the you know, the camaraderie and the team, uh, the t- team play and, and, you know, sitting in the dressing room after and having a beer or just having a chat with people is fun too. So, it, you know, I, that's why I was so excited about, uh, about seeing this. Yeah. You see some, you know, high level hockey players, but you get to see a lot of people introduce the sport too. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Very important because you don't want it. High level is great, but you want people to see that gateway for them to join it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to continue with sports, Jim, uh, when it, Winnipeg recently hosted an accessible sports expo at the University of Manitoba. So can you tell us about some of the sports that were highlighted? Absolutely. And this is kind of an expansion of what we just talked about here with, you know, the the, the blind hockey, introduced blind hockey. In this particular case, uh, they had 28 adapted sports. So 28 adapted sports uh, for people to be able to come through, they they had it at the University of Manitoba's Investors Group Athletic Center. Uh, this was a couple of Sundays ago. And um, they had uh, sports including archery, cycling, basketball, weightlifting, rock climbing, just a ton of sports. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the really cool thing is, too, they had hundreds of participants come out to try these sports. And this is another, you know, example of, of just exposing people to these because some people don't know that that there are, you know, adaptive sports of, of uh, uh, different adapt, adaptive sports out there. So this gives them a chance to know it, uh, to to uh, to learn it, and it also gives a chance for, you know, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, support workers, and stuff to also become familiar with all the sports available. So that the people they work with, they can make recommendations and say, well, you know, if you want to try weightlifting, you can try weightlifting. It's it's adapted. Um, same with, uh, you know, archery, cycling, a, a lot of the sports. It's it's a, allows the people, the people not only a chance to see that they're adapted, but maybe give them a little try and see how they like them. Yeah. I mean, yesterday we talked to Johnny Ty. We didn't get into his um, martial arts uh, endeavors and over the years uh, how much um, blind martial arts he's not just done himself but instructed for other blind kids and um, although we didn't talk about it you know speaking with him is such a great reminder of that you know the first time I heard about blind judo and uh, we we had an athlete on the show here as well for one of our back to basics weeks it just uh, uh, like for me, you know, even though I live in Toronto, it's, there's so many great accessible recreation and sports around here and adaptive sports. Uh, I still, I find, you know, once in a while I I learn about a sport that's adapted for me and I think, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And to think, you know, people go their entire lives, either not knowing whether or not you're disabled, you know, you just go and have no clue until you're exposed to it. And it is a big deal. So all these kinds of organizations, initiatives and events make a big difference, even if it's for one person who comes out and uh, goes home with that information. It's huge. Absolutely. And, you know, thinking back, you know, as a parent, when my children were growing up, you put them in sports for a number of reasons. One is for health, right? You just want them to get some activity and but the other, there's so many lessons learned in sports. 
of teammate, you know, team play and, and, uh, you know, being, being a part of a bigger group and the, the, the social interaction of getting your children out there and meeting other kids, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch that comes forward and, and you can't, you, you know, you want to expose that for everyone. You yeah. want everyone yeah, to have that sure. chance. Yeah, you do. And it is, that's to me, the biggest part of sports team, you know, team, working together, uh, being a, a sore winner, a sore loser. A, oh, sorry. <laughs> a good winner, a good loser. All right. Uh, Jim, finally, let's stick with Manitoba. The town of Niverville gave the go-ahead to make it easier and safer for uh, individuals with disabilities to enjoy their walk around town. How's the town doing this? Yeah, this I really like this because uh, the, the, this all funnels back to the uh, accessibility provincial legislation that uh, Manitoba has coming into effect. It's It's been underway for 10 years now, uh, and it's coming into effect in 2023. And... What I like about this, Niverville is is south of uh, of uh, Winnipeg. It's a, it's a town, and it shows you that you know the, this type of legislation is impacting not only the major centers in in our country, but also the smaller centers as well, like Niverville. And what they're doing is they're um, they're they're making the you know they're removing barriers, basically uh, affecting people with disabilities when it comes to uh, you know, movement around the, around the town. They're doing it, you know, with, as they're putting in new, new areas of the city, they're putting in curb cuts, et cetera, to make the, um, uh, the, the sidewalks more accessible, but they're also doing, uh, things like the, uh, tactile, uh, warning pads, uh, at, uh, where sidewalk meets uh, at the road at intersections mm-hmm. throughout the newer developments. Uh, so, so, and you know, they're bright yellow. They're there for the, 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 um, blind and partially sighted for people who, who may, uh, be cane users or people who may be, uh, guide dog users. Um, so these are being rolled out into, into, you know, areas, into towns in Manitoba and, and hopefully across the country, but in Manitoba for places that might've only been rolled out in cities prior yeah, to yeah. this. Yeah, and, I, and now it's great. Isn't it? Yeah. And and now they're, you know, they, they have this concerted effort of putting it into the new areas. But also as they uh, as they bring, you know, do work in the rest of the town, they're going to bring all the town up to up to uh, standard on on this as well. So, you know, these type of initiatives, we 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 have to sort of highlight. We have to know that they're happening and also uh, know that. This is this is hopefully the trend. Hopefully and, going and forward. Towns, the towns people that this affects most directly need to make sure to let council let them know. Man, this is great. This works for us. This is how. Hey, and make your suggestions. I mean, we know we hear a lot about places where there's patios or or other sidewalk furniture to watch, but one step at a time. But certainly make sure to be vocal. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate. It. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Take care. Our content development specialists join us on Wednesdays and Fridays right here on Kelly and Company. Another hour ahead of the program, and when we get into it, well, what is employee engagement, and how does it uh, differ from just liking your job? Alicia Yardley explains to us. And we flip through quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy on What in the World. But up next, it's the Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill with producer Bill Shackleton. We talk to him momentarily.
Around Canada, listen in to Kelly and Company right from your TV. Shaw Cable, channel 825. And T-Baytel IPTV, channel 1112, you can find us. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, we like to check in with Bill Shackleton, and we call it the buzz with Bill because he brings us the buzz. All the great articles that he's run into that are very timely and conversational. Billy, it's a Wednesday. How's it going? Going good. How are you guys doing? We're going good or doing well as well, and I'm curious to know what you have for us today. I'm going to start with this one. Lyft drivers spread the gospel with ride-hailing ministries from Associated Press. So basically what you have is Lyft, which, which as you know, is a ride-hailing service. Um, The article talked about two drivers, and basically what they're doing is they're starting to spread the the gospel in a very general way. Now, we're not talking about—when I first read the article— I thought we're talking about maybe of doctrine and Bible thumping and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But really all they're doing is, is some of them are talking about their own personal problems and hoping that you, when you get into a car, I mean, there's a lot of people that have problems too. And they're hoping that by talking about their problems that you'll talk about yours and maybe they can help each other. Um, I, I, in principle, I kind of like this idea I think we have to be really careful that we don't get into a car and be preached at. And I know this is not what they're trying to do. So I think in theory it's can be good. But you're not necessarily sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that it's, you know, uh, you know how when you have at least Uber they have preferences where you can say no heat or no air conditioning or no conversation or you want the radio on and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think this sort of thing should, yeah, but you should be able to get into a car and not be, Hey, what's, you know, it's, it's a good conversation, but who wants to, I mean, when I get into a car, I don't like talking to the drivers in any way about anything. Okay. Um, I will, I will take a stance on this and it's that because I've heard it, heard it a few different things before, right? So number one that I believe is that it's people's personal cars. This is not it at is. all like a taxi service or a ride service from the, um, what do you call it, from the airport or some kind of tour guide service. Or it's not, you know, get in your car, let's go wine touring. It's none of that. This is a driver using their own personal car to give you a, a lift, right? And then therefore you pay them. Um, so isn't it kind of up to them what they play? Like I've gone into many, many Lyft and Uber rides and people kind of play whatever they want. You know, sometimes they ask you what you want. Sometimes they don't. If you pay the extra money, then you can get the nice luxury service, like the car and the actual service, right? Like the AC and the heaters and all that stuff, but not for a basic Uber ride or a basic, uh, Lyft ride. You just hmm, that's interesting. get in the car that you want, uh, I've that, gone you, that in, fits you. I've gone in taxis, and once in a while, someone's playing music or or even accessible vehicles, like a, a paratransit vehicles, where the driver has music on. And I, you know, I either tolerate it or don't, or I say, can you maybe turn it down a bit if it was bothering me? Um, 
I'm of that view that you are renting whichever vehicle for the time you're in it. That doesn't mean you can put your feet up on their seats or do any damage to the vehicle or anything like that within limits. I I think most drivers would say if someone says, you know, that music bothers me, it's too loud, could you, you know, turn it off or swear? Most, I think, are going to say, yeah, no, no problem. They're, they don't need the hassle and they think they look at it that way. So I think it's almost an understood that you do that. And I think a lot of companies would say, well, what are you doing with it on anyway? <laughs> so they're, I, I, it's a really hard thing, whether it's their vehicle or not. And I hear you yeah. on, on that. I think you would find that, yeah, but I'm I'm renting your vehicle for this time and we don't ever we, have though? a consent. Sure we are. Yeah, I don't think we are. Yeah, I think you because are. we're renting their time, right? But we're not necessarily renting their vehicle. And I, that's where I think that, you know, this can get really logistical because Uber and Lyft drivers are meant to pay their own insurance. Yep. You know, they're meant to do but all this stuff. But they have to have insurance to have you in the vehicle. Exactly. Covering right? enough insurance in case there's an accident. Mm-hmm. They are still responsible and they're still subjected to the Uber and Lyft rules. They can't right. get you in their car and so insult you. So is it up to Uber and Lyft to now tell people what they can and can't play or what they can and can't talk about while people are in their cars? I think it's totally up to me. To, you know, if I get in and a driver's like, hey, let's talk religion, obviously it just didn't go from zero to religion, right? But if it gets to that point that I can say, um, I don't like this and then rate them based on that experience because you have that right as well, right? To rate each other as driver and rider. Yeah. But I don't know if we can put a middle person like Lyft and Uber in there and say, uh, excuse me, you can't, you can't bring up religion. You know, it's, it, it, that gets really sticky. See, to me, you you work to me, you work for them. Uh, It would be like you deciding one day you're going to say stuff that AMI disagrees with. You are, Mm. uh, you know, you are still representing or else you're stopping on the street and saying, hi, I can give you a ride if you're willing to give me $20. Sure. But if I get in your car and I'm willing to do something crazy like that, then you can do and talk about whatever you want. Or I can say, pull over, please, and let me out. It's definitely an interesting situation because I think a lot of what we condone has to do with like condone in the middle person that middle service that ride share uh, person who we're paying all these fees for right i think a lot of reasons why we go that route instead of what what you just talked about right like hitchhiking is because of the safety component right um but which is what's demanded by the company to be safe and their reputation that you are safe riding with these strangers with basically a stranger even though a taxi driver you don't know every taxi driver absolutely um, is as well but whereas, you know, censorship or talking about preferences of conversation or all these things, I really wonder if that kind of thing can be put in as a rule. Yeah, exactly. Rule. Well, yeah. and I think be, I think you can because you if you, somebody gets in your car, whether you're Lyft or a taxi, and they decide to. So I'm a big, huge fan of, you know, whether it be Donald Trump or, or, or uh, Prime exactly. Minister Trudeau or whatever. whatever. If you say, look, I don't I don't want to talk politics. Well, why not? Get out of my car. You know, yeah. like, you know, Lyft he is going to say, what did you do? Lyft. Exactly. Yeah. But like you say, you have the mechanism of rating, but I don't I think that's. I don't think that's really what it's for. It's if the guy gets on you or in, and is rude, mm-hmm. obnoxious, cussing. Well, it's the same thing, right? Maybe you don't like classical like music person. and that person, is, is that's what they use for. Right. And I'd like to think if you don't like classical music, they have it on quietly and you just send in. I don't like that driver because he played classical mm, music. Depends on your driver. 
Yeah. I've definitely yeah. gone into Ubers where people are blasting whatever music they like, and I'm like, it's fine. I have noise canceling headphones. You know, and most people will just ignore, right, Billy? You sure. would just generally, I'm not. I don't. I don't need trouble with this driver. I because a lot of taxis will put just put you right out, even if they're, you know, yep. blasting their music. They would just say, well, you don't like that, yep. get out. And that's the attitude it's the of the spectrum person. that you get when yeah. you use services like this. That's you know, the positive. Is. One of the positive things that came out of this article for me was that there are people that get in these cars that have problems. And the idea is to spark the idea of maybe people that are contemplating getting religion, and then maybe they're sort of on the fence. And 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 these drivers can point these people to maybe a church or a, a group of people that can help them. And the other thing is you've got to remember about this is that, you know, we the Christians have been using radio, TV, to uh, spread the gospel, why not? I guess why not cars? I mean, isn't that sort of an yeah. extension? Why not cars? But you don't want to be trapped in a situation just because no. you ordered a lift and now you're stuck no. listening to 20 minutes of in Toronto traffic of somebody trying to tell you to go to church. You know, like do I, that's do I think not it should be an option be. if somebody yeah, chooses to? Right. Yeah, oh, you bet. And yeah. and I think there is a, a market, you know, where if somebody prefers to maybe do have that 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 mm-hmm. time, um, those more or it's have discussion be an like that. Situation. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that's it's a it's a wonderful option if somebody is interested in in riding in a car like that. You know, I mean, if someone wants to argue politics, I'm not sure Lyft is going to say, well, yeah, just order a car or you can argue politics because <laughs> things could get out of hand. Yeah. Can you imagine if they start putting that in your profile? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right, Billy. That's a good one. Next. Continuing with cars, researchers, AI, um, what they're doing is they are basically trying to track traffic patterns. So Associated Press brings us this article. And basically, did you know that traffic jams basically are they call them tra- phantom jams because there's no reason for it except somebody. So there's no construction reason. Somebody will break and then someone will break behind you and someone will break behind you. And it's sort of a chain reaction. So the researchers basically put 100 cars out on a 50-mile strip on I-24 in Nashville. And basically they wanted to study different from, from nine a.m. or from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. when the traffic was, you know, when there was most cars on the road, when it would, when it was be most busy. One of the things they found was that driving slower um, was more beneficial because there was less breakage, you know, because you, you know, you, you, if, if you stop your car, there's more pollution and you're sitting there doing nothing. Mm. So they decided they 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 thought that being able to predict traffic patterns um, would would make driving much better. Um, and these AI cars equipped with AI were able to adapt quicker um, to cars two or three cars ahead and two or three cars behind. They were able to adapt to the traffic better. So it's all about you know. Adjust and relieving congestion on the roads and maybe making humans better drivers because let's face it, there are a lot of people that don't know how to drive on the roads. And I and I think this is one way to to relieve some of the, the congestions 
um, in tra in traffic by this, you know, doing uh, studying patterns and this sort of thing. And the article did point out one thing is that if there are too many cars on the road, there's nothing that technology can do. But a lot yep. of times there is this technology that could probably help there's us. There's already stuff. Like there's cruise control. There's, you know, auto signal. There's all kinds of stuff that's already built into the newer cars that are on the streets right now. And and they want to improve, they want to pr improve that, to make them better. Basically what they're saying with cruise control mm. Is that you could, if you know, you could look at track car two or three cars ahead and then adapt your speed. Exactly. So there hey, are Billy, ways. There are ways, and we really need to get <laughs> get back into how we can optimize our driving rather than just wait for all the AIs. Uh, but that's a really good one, Billy. Thank you. Wrapping up. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Well, thank you, Bill Shackleton with the buzz. Up next. What is employee engagement and how does it differ from just liking your job? Alicia Yardley explains. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita talks to author and NYU professor Leona Godden about her new book, Their Plant Eyes, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness. That's the Pulse Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time right here on AMI-audio, also available on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muthan, joining me on the program today. Uh, on the fourth Wednesday of the month, we're joined by Alicia Yardley from AMI's uh, Human Resources Development Par Department. Hello, Alicia. How are you? I am in a great mood today because in 48 hours, I am going to be on a Cuban beach. So. Wow. Yes. Wow. I'm counting down the minutes. Well, um, Toronto's almost warm enough that it... <laughs> it's it just like being in Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's awesome. That is... And now, is this a first time? No, um, it is not. It's my first uh, trip south, though, to get sun before the winter in like three years. So oh, it's much needed. I cannot wait. Um, wow. So, so I'm so happy to be here with you, folks, to celebrate. Oh my goodness! And 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 some would say, well, she's uh, teasing them about the warm weather. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk employment. Let's put you to work before you get going. Can we talk about employee engagement first of all? What is employee engagement? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, it's one of the questions I get asked a lot because we talk about employee engagement, um, but people don't always know what that is. So um, it's it's different from just liking your job. Um, it's it's the extent to which like employees feel passionate about their jobs. They're committed. They're putting effort into their work, um, and they're you know shouting from the rooftops about how great the organization is. So, um, you know, that's when you have an engaged workforce, a lot of people are doing that. They're feeling really passionate about their jobs, the vision of the company. They're really committed to what we do. Um, and then it's, it, you know, that shows by putting in that effort. Hmm. 
Okay, well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's that extra little bit of whatever it is, your participation or uh, the way that you feel like you're involved with work with colleagues and not just there to work, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. So it's a bit more than just a paycheck. Um, can you explain more how it is different from just liking your job, this engagement part? Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can like my job, um, but you know, I, I like my job because it's, you know, and I'm not saying this about AMI, but theoretically I like my job because it's, you know, I've got work-life balance. I don't have to try very hard. I can just kind of coast or like, um, that's different from I'm engaged to the organization. So that's like, I, and, and, you know, you can love your job, you can feel passionate. Um, but when you're engaged, you're like, you're putting a lot of the energy, um, each day into, you know, doing a good job for the organization. They're feeling passionate. Like I said, they're, um, you know, they're really committed. You know, that they're, um, like they're there for, for like for life. Um, they're like, you know, they're putting in a lot of discretionary effort. And, and again, they're talking about what a great employer they're working for. Um, so it's, it's really there. It's that one step above, um, job satisfaction or enjoying your job. It's like, it's just that next level where you're promoting it, the organization, and you're really feeling passionate and you're really committed to the vision and mission of the organization. Mm, yeah, sometimes we'll we'll say that, you know, how focused are you, how engaged in one's job, but what are those factors that go into engagement? Yeah, so there are, there are a few different factors that can go into whether an employee is engaged. Um, so the first is uh, inclusion. So it's making sure that everybody feels free to speak up. Everybody feels welcome in the organization. Um, so it's sharing ideas, not being like a top down kind of thing where, you know, we're dictating to the next level down. Um, it's everybody feels free to brainstorm, share ideas. And even though, some ideas might not be used. You're, you're free to um, express yourself. Um, I would also say it's, um, it, you know, it's it's making sure that people feel like they're really part of something bigger. Um, the, the other factor would be communication. So um, it's making sure that employees have a very clear idea of what is expected of them. Um, because when people don't know, they're not going to like be targeted and focused. So they really need that clear instruction, having those regular conversations, having feedback, um, you know, making sure that people are collaborating. Um, and then, uh, yeah, recognition um, is another one where, um, you know, people want to be recognized. Um, so like if you're constantly doing, you know, if you're going above and beyond and nobody even acknowledges it, nobody says thank you, nobody says, you know what, the, the job you're doing is great. Um, then you're going to be a bit less engaged over time. So it's having that recognition. And I don't mean just in terms of like money. It could be in terms of, you know, thank yous. It could be in terms of like a team lunch. It can be, right. you know, so many other ways to do it. Um, and then wellness. So it's providing well-being opportunities for employees. So like coffee chats, um, you know, break times, encouraging, you know, that hour lunch. Um, and then the last one would be connections. So, um, you know, people want to feel like they're part of something bigger, like I've said. So if people are, 
you know, they're they're collaborating, they're communicating with each other, they're they feel like they're kind of part of a, you know, like a team, um, they're gonna be a lot more engaged. So those, those are the different factors that can go into engagement. So as you can see, quite a few factors. I do appreciate the one about um kind of the the employer, the teams taking responsibility, taking some accountability for employee engagement and kind of spreading that and and opening up mm. your arms for it because it's true, especially if you're new. You know, if you're young and you're new and you've you're, maybe you're totally new to the workforce, that kind of thing, like what employment engagement is, employee engagement is, is confusing. It could be like non-existent. So uh, yeah. that part of it is really interesting to me. With the factor of inclusion, how do you mm. get people to feel included in employee engagement? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So um, it's you know, it's, it's making sure that, you know, as a manager, you've got a a team where people feel free to share their ideas. You know, it's reiterating, there are no silly ideas or no stupid questions. Um, It's acknowledging maybe the differences between people on the team um, and, and building on that, using people's strengths and playing those, you know, together. And it's giving people a sense of purpose to how they personally are contributing to the larger uh, picture of the organization. Um, and it's, you know, and, and again, it can be uh, like for, you know, another factor of inclusion is making sure that there's accessibility for people, um, you know, persons with disabilities or, um, you know, people who are indigenous or, um, you know, making sure that we are including everybody, making sure that we have that accessibility um, and that we are really taking that into account as well. And so inclusion is really, there are so many ways to help people feel included and then therefore they're going to be a lot more engaged. For sure. And and so vital. Um, can we go back to how accessibility is taken into account with inclusion? Yeah. Um, so like, for example, at AMI, um, you know, all of our hallways are wide enough to accommodate for wheelchairs. Um, we have, you know, textured floors. Um, you know, we have QR codes in front of the offices so that if somebody is blind or partially sighted, they're able to, um, you know, know whose office they're in front of. Um, we, you know, make sure that our documents are accessible. Um, we, you know, uh, we send out a self-disclosure form to every new hire and make sure that they tell us what, you know, their accommodation needs are, whatever those might be, Um, you know, and we're very mindful of making sure that, um, you know, everybody feels included. Um, You know, at AMI, I would say we're really good at that. Um, We are really, we really prize inclusion and accessibility overall and you know and and you know we have software like screen readers and zoom text and you know just yeah and and therefore you know people don't feel like they're sort of left out um they're they're part of the conversation they're part of all of the uh you know they're they're able to contribute their ideas and there are you know barriers to um expressing oneself Mm -hmm. so i mean there are maybe some of us who are very excited to <laughs> get engaged at work. So if yeah. you have employment uh, engagement ideas, employee engagement, I keep saying that wrong. But anyways, if I have some for my workplace, how can I communicate that? And who can I communicate that with? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, that would be most likely with uh, your HR department um, because employee engagement is kind of an HR function. Um, you know, in HR, um, you know, human resources, right? Like we want to make sure that our people are, you know, they're happy where they're working, they're engaged, they're, you know, they're performing. And so, um, you know, if you have um, an idea, um, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, hey, I've got an idea for like, you know, a wellness idea. Um, and I love hearing that because it shows that people want to contribute engagement. Like it's it's really exciting when you get those new ideas. Um, and then the other option I would say would be to talk to um, maybe like if your organization has a social committee, um, then um, you can talk to them, um, come forward with your ideas as well. Um, but, you know, and even if you think, well, like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I think it's kind of silly. It doesn't matter. Just, um, you know, bring it forward anyway, because you never know, right? Like, and, and um, you know, and sometimes even bouncing an idea, an engagement idea off of somebody, you can kind of like, you can formulate something. And, you know, for example, um, you know, well, we can't do, you know, a yoga Monday, but we can do like, you know, wellness tips or mindfulness tips or, you know, stretching ideas that are accessible. So, um, you know, we can always tweak it. So, uh, yeah, I would I would suggest that people do get involved if they really want to feel engaged. Go to your HR manager or your HR department um, and or even the social committee. Um, also talk to your manager because they might have the history about like, have we done that idea before and it backfired or whatever it might be. So please don't feel shy about speaking up and, and sharing your ideas. I would imagine, too, for some people who feel maybe been around a while and sometimes you get feeling, oh, you know, maybe I'm not as for this or inspired as, as I've been. Sometimes finding that thing to be a little more engaged with, it starts like a domino effect, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. Like, you know, I mean, um, like I, I've had people say, you know, I, oh, I'm not like, I'm not feeling super happy, but you know, like I, I have this idea, like, what do you think about it? Um, I think, we could start a business book club. And, you know, I, I say, great, go for it. Um, you know, that's that's a true example from a previous employer. Um, and they started up the business book club. Um, we had a pretty good, like we had about 15 people. Nice. Um, and every month we would read a book on like business. Um, and I, I told the employee to just head it up. They pick, you know, the books and, and um, you know, what they created was really cool. And, and you know, every month, somebody would recommend a new book um and you know it really got the ideas flowing and and you know i mean the employee's still there so I, he's clearly still engaged with the organization so absolutely kelly alicia's going to be engaged building sandcastles in cuba uh, starting mm -hmm. in uh, 48 hours enjoy yourself be safe and thank you thank you thanks for having me Alicia Ardley joining us. Um, today we were chatting employment as we usually do and talking about engagement at uh, the workplace. We will step aside for a couple of moments. We still have a little more time in the program. As a matter of fact, as he's changed hats, we have coming up for you the return of Grant Hardy. Uh, we're going to be flipping through some quirky stories from around the globe here on the program. Uh, we call the segment What in the World? So we'll see as he goes from health earlier to some quirky stuff ahead on Kelly and Company.
AEBC and Partners present the 6th International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference, Empowering Ourselves, Thriving in This New Reality, December 3rd, and this starts at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, ladies and gentlemen. It's a virtual Zoom meeting, and the goal for this year's conference is to share messages to motivate and empower and thrive. This virtual conference will be available to all and, of course, accessible and will feature uh, ASL interpreters and real lifetime captioning featuring guest speaker Michael Gotthill, uh, Accessibility Commissioner, among others. AMI will be broadcasting this event live with uh, co-host Joita Gutta. Registration is free and available on Eventbrite. Registered, uh, register via email or request accommodations by emailing at aebctoronto.com. Ramya Muthan and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. All right. Well, every other Wednesday, it seems like we have a lot of bi-weekly segments today, uh, but we like to chat with Grant Hardy. He brings us What in the World, and this is a pretty fun gig because we flip through quirky stories from around the globe. And what what do you promise us in these segments, Grant? Do you promise some non-heavy <laughs> conversations? I promise some non-heavy conversation and also uh-huh. some truly mind-boggling oh, stories. Great. Now, yeah. if we've shared the word. Um, it's already been shared once today, so I'm glad that we're spreading the joy <laughs> of mind-boggling throughout the channel. Indeed. Indeed. All right, what do you have for us? Okay, let's see. I don't think you could put the word mind-boggling on a Scrabble board. I feel like that could not happen. However, the Too many Scrabble dictionary... Hmm? Too many Gs to Scrabble. Too many, yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, however, if you play cutthroat Scrabble, and my partner definitely plays cutthroat Scrabble. She knows some words I have never even heard of. Uh, make sure you check out the word update. The latest official Scrabble Players Dictionary has 500 new words and includes some shorthands like walk, trademarks like dumpster, and Nouns turned into verbs like torrented and adulting. The potentially highest scoring new word is bohawk, F-A-U-X-H-A-W-K, a a Mm. haircut similar to a mohawk. Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I didn't even know that's how you spelt it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's that's the kind of word where I think everyone would be like, you you're cheating. Like, no. And you <laughs> you're creating. Like, oh, you check, <laughs> check, check the dictionary. I'm not making this up. Uh, Jedi, Docs, and Deep Face also made the list. The new words join more than 100,000 words of two to eight letters. The official Scrabble Players Dictionary is the product of a long-standing partnership between game maker Hasbro and dictionary maker Miriam Webster. So that's pretty cool, huh? And you guys play uh, Scrabble? Much. I do play Scrabble, but only with strangers. I can't play Scrabble with friends because I don't. I have so much trust issues, man. Like every word I'd be checking in the dictionary, I'd be like, "No, you're totally making that up." 
Yeah, I'm um, the one that would come up with too many creative spellings that make up words yeah. like that. You know, whether yeah, absolutely. I, is that right? No, that's not even. And then people find out you really can't spell. Get out of the game. Yeah. And then I'll also just... you start making up your own words. Like whether Scrabble recognizes them or not, you would, uh, I'd start putting in, you know, my urban dictionary of words and uh, it's just, it's going to end up in a fight. So we only play online now. We used to, we used to have a family member, I won't say who it is in case they're listening, that would, she would basically like assume that whoever was playing before her was making up a word. And so then she'd be like, okay, well, if you're going to make up a word, I'm going to make up right. a word. So I'm going to put down, exhausting to play with her <laughs> yeah uh, okay yeah okay um scrabble's not for everybody okay you, what else Scrabble's <laughs> not for everyone you know there's a lot of apple and steve jobs memorabilia going around not a lot but a little bit um but recently, someone paid over $200,000 U.S. for something of Steve Jobs, and it wasn't an old Power Mac computer. It wasn't, you know, a signed autographed uh, book, anything like that. It was a pair of secondhand shoes. Someone spent more than 200000 U.S. on a pair of old Birkenstock sandals owned and worn by the late Apple co-founder Steve Jobs, setting a record the highest price ever paid for a pair of sandals at an auction, according to the auction house. Uh, the tech pioneers brown suede Arizona sandals, which were expected to make only $60,000, sold for this astonishing price at Julianne's auctions, accompanied by an NFT. Prior to the sale, the Californian auction house said the sandals described as well-used, but still intact, were a wardrobe staple for Jobs in the 1970s and 80s. Jobs died in 2011 from complications from pancreatic cancer. Uh, on the auction website, it says these sandals retain the imprint of Steve Jobs' feet, <laughs> which has been shaped after years of <laughs> use. The Birkenstock That's were what saved you paid for. By... Paid for his footprints. <laughs> Yeah, they were actually saved from the trash by Mark Schaff, a former house manager oh. to Steve Jobs during one of the tech icons' many clearouts. Wow. <sighs> I, yeah, that's intense. I I don't know. I, I can't run a contest without approving it by marketing, but I am wearing some very nice sweatpants while I'm doing this off. Uh, what in the world segment and I'm wondering if I could have a contest somehow or something where I could get I don't know I'd settle for oh, five or ten grand would help me out a lot right <laughs> now. yeah yeah that's not much man yeah no man that's walk around K. money a little wardrobe setup You're, yeah so humble that's what he's um. looking for right that, that's what it'll do yep not much I just can't believe it I had to be rescued like- and this was be- before he yeah, was famous, right? These Birkenstocks? Yeah. Like, this was before he was the Apple guy. Oh, yeah. That's, oh that's it. Rescued from the trash. I, <laughs> exactly. I feel like... <laughs> but worth something, Grant, because of who it is. Oh, yeah. What? Who they One belong to. trash is another man's treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like my own sweatpants, I'd probably have to actually pay something to take them away. 
I find this stuff All like right. kind of unsettling. I just want to say, you know, it's one thing to have a, a guitar or an actual Apple product maybe that's mm. no longer existent. You know, when people were keeping their iPods when they got discontinued, stuff like that. But fishing out the man's old slippers <laughs> sandals from the trash and then like calling him a god basically and saying, you know, he's revolutionized it so we need his slippers. Like, wow, that is a stretch. No offense to the people who Yeah, I, <laughs> I I always get this thing where I'm like, oh, I wish I was rich enough to bid on one of those like old classic Power Mac computers. And then I'm like, wait sure. a second, like voiceover wasn't around in those days. So I wouldn't be able to use it anyway. <laughs> right. Maybe the sandals would be more useful for me. I love wearing sandals in the summer. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's move on to the world of journalism, something you guys are very familiar with. Uh, baby elephant interrupts TV reporters broadcast. <laughs> this already sounds cute, especially after our <laughs> Daniel John, John kind of segment this week. Yeah. It's already funny. We can end the story right there. Um, a Kenyan journalist may be thinking twice about his interviewee choices after he was interrupted by a nosy baby elephant. <laughs> journalist Alvin Konda was in Nairobi, Kenya, when he was attempting to report on the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, a rehabilitation center for orphaned baby elephants. While reporting on the challenges these baby elephants have endured at the hands of human impact on their environment, one of the calves standing behind him had something to add to the report. The video shows Honda trying to keep a straight face to the camera when one elephant tries to push him away and another uses its trunk to tickle the reporter in the face. At this point, Conda couldn't contain himself and burst out laughing while the elephant bashfully looked away. He said, at first I felt the elephant trunk's contact on my back, but decided to keep going because I was doing my almost 10th take of my piece to camera. We know all about that. It's like, oh, nothing for is sure. stop us. No, we don't. What are you talking about? We're one takers. Stand up, man. Stand up, Grant, and sit there and deliver while everybody's watching you, and you hear people, who's this guy? What's he doing? What's this about? Who are they filming with, right? While you're trying to get out, welcome to... <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to let anything stop me, he says, until the baby elephant <laughs> stuck its trunk in my mouth. Honda said it had been the first time at the organization and didn't expect to be that close to the <laughs> elephant. Well, they're, they've suffered from us. They're just trying to give us a little bit of... Well, you know how, how they really? talk always about the photo bombing. <laughs> Uh, that's real. Like that's uh, you know uh, showing off their trunk and saying, "Look, uh, we're just going to move you over here. Think the lighting's better here for your 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 uh, what do they call it, Grant? The golden shot, you know, where they want they want that the, the amazing amazing shot where right. hey, look, he's right there, and the elephants are hugging him, embracing that wow shot. Yeah, <laughs> a little more than that though. Okay. I love this kind of stuff. It's I so too. cute. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it, you, you no. place the poor reporter somewhere, and you say it looks good. The background's yeah. great, and everything like that. And you've got the elephants around you, and all that. And the elephants are, would you please move along? Mm -hmm. 
And I know it's it's such a um if I bring up the show people are going to get upset so sorry but one of the <laughs> things that sticks in my mind about the Joe Exotic uh Tiger King stuff was it called Tiger King anyways yeah that that show was all the scenes with the tigers like the baby tigers and the big tigers and people would be having such serious conversations to camera and you know spewing their nonsense and then these cat these uh, tigers in the background just doing their own thing I I loved it. <laughs> That's what I remember the show. Uh, pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to move on and talk about, I, I want to be clear that I'm not making fun or shaming anyone for doing this. It's just more kind of the, 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 the depth of what people are going through. Mm-hmm. Would you have your legs broken to make yourself taller? Not well, me. It turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not me, although mm-hmm. I would like to be a couple inches taller, but it turns out there are actually a lot of men who would. Now, there's an operation, which is a remarkable feat of medical engineering, and it's not for the squeamish. Te- techniques and devices vary, but basically you can use nails or rods similar to uh, those that have long been employed to stabilize bad fractures. But when you drill out the marrow cavity of the bone and drive in the nail, you also intentionally break the bone in half. The clever bit comes after the operation itself. A handheld device positioned against the leg at home creates a magnetic field. This activates a magnetic screwing mechanism inside the nail, which is telescopic at a typical rate of a millimeter per day spread across three or four activations of a few minutes each. The nail pulls the two sections of bone apart, and the body actually makes new bone tissue to bridge the growing gap. This suspension process lasts several weeks and involves a period of relative immobility, sometimes necessitating time in a wheelchair and months of physiotherapy to help the muscles adapt. But once it's complete, the nail can be removed, You've got new bone, and you can actually be a few inches longer. But people are really questioning this because it's a lot of maybe more vulnerable or or people who aren't confident about their bodies Mm -hmm. that are getting this done, and it's being done for cash. Uh, So from for orthopedic surgeons, so most ethical people, it seems like, are advising people not to get this done purely for cosmetic reasons. Wow. Isn't that something? Even the time that you're healing, the other health things you have to think about, it's like, you know, astronauts going uh, into space, spending time coming back to Earth. It takes them ages for the body to to adapt back, and they're learning as time goes on things that are permanent changes that may not be so positive down the road whatsoever as they grow older. Um, And and you look at something like this, and I, 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 you know, again, Grant, you're reasoning like they say for people with um, a poor self-image um and and feeling they need to do this kind of thing it's that time whether it's sitting in in the wheelchair somebody you know and and having that physiotherapy and everything like that because you you can't be messing around um without having those supports for exercise for making sure to monitor how those legs are coming back together i'm assuming but again it's so hard when you hear this stuff because we don't know we're we're not 
health professionals that know exactly what this does and and the theory behind it and the the healing process and 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 maybe some of them would say no you're over worrying the hardest part is just that time being immobile i i don't know i don't know well Ronnie. maybe the hardest part is not having it done you know like the thing is this is all insecurity based right people's insecurities about uh, their experiences being shorter or other kinds of um, body insecurities. And they're saying, I'd rather go through all this and more to get rid of that part of me uh, or to change that part of me than to not. And that part of it is very upsetting. It's it's upsetting. Yeah. Um, but I guess some people in that position would say, well, listen, if you're fairly obese, and you know, health-wise, yeah. you need to do this. And, and that's that. and the again, thing, a, right? Health concerns. Yeah, a health concern to me, mm-hmm. being you know overweight or in that sense, and worried about the strain on your body versus being a little taller because you feel because, um, because you no know. one's no one wants you on your on the dating scene. That's what yeah. this was prompted by, right? Mm. Or like one of the big mm. things that was. That's correct. By. That's yeah. correct. And it's it's you know it's it's true because we've spent our whole lives being told. See, here I am getting not as light as I should be getting, but you know, here we are being told you're too short, you're too overweight, you're too this, you're too that. Um, but it's it's very true. Like one of the gentlemen who who went through all this was talking about. Look, I know the thing that oh, all, women only date men that are tall is not true. Um, yep. However, if you are shorter, um, and and I know this is, I think I'm just average height, just average, maybe like an inch below average height or half an inch. And and I know that, you know, dating sites do heavily prioritize height, maybe in a way discriminate against height. And, you know, is it's not something we should worry about, but when have we been able to control our feelings and what exactly. we worry about and what we don't worry about? Exactly, Grant. Thank you for bringing these to us. I know we got a little heavy at the end, but still amazing articles. Thank you so much. And we'll chat with you uh, later on this week. All right. Sounds great, guys. Have a good rest of your show. Grant Hardy on What in the World Today, and he'll be back Friday uh, for Lifestyle. And we put a wrap on the program in two minutes here on Kelly and Company. We remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast available to you using your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe. And you can listen to the show in segment form in case you can't be here to catch the show in one of its repeats, 10 p.m. Eastern time or 6 a.m. in the morning, uh, as we are here on weekdays uh, on AMI-audio from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. A lot of time to throw at you. So check out the podcast at your convenience. We can also listen to the show in its complete form, folks, as a matter of fact, where we toss on an audio vanity card on the end of that. That's the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Or, as mentioned, check out the segments while you're in there. If you don't mind, maybe give us a rating and review using your favorite podcast platform to find Kelly and Company. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the show. Ramya, let's take a look back. Um, Any segments that people should make sure they go to the podcast to re-listen or to check out? Well, I know if people were listening live to today's show, they were missing part of the 
World Cup. But we did talk sports with Jim Crisco and uh, talking about a couple different things, you know, sport demos being held um, and the the other sports event, I can't think of it at the top of my head right now, being held. And what we learned from sports, I really enjoyed listening to you and Jim talk about that, uh, involving yourself, your kids in sports means a lot. It's a lot more than just playing the game or learning about the game. And I appreciated that conversation. Yeah, I think what we were saying about the blind hockey tournament particularly, the whole fact that you have that ability to have teams and people learn what it's like to be on a team, the mentorship possibilities of having these experienced hockey players there engaging with people who are just getting started or maybe just the people saying, maybe I should give this a try. So awesome stuff. Good conversation, Jim, bringing great items to us earlier in the program. Check it out via the podcast. While you're in there, subscribe to Now with Dave Brown and see what they have for you. Paul Daniel joins us to give us an idea of what that show looks like tomorrow, beginning at 9 a.m. You can find it on AMI-tv. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, Stephen Scott from Devil Tap will tell us why he likes the Amazon Fire tablet so much, and he has reasons. Alex Smythe and I will discuss the recent announcement regarding the introduction of all-terrain wheelchairs at some U.S. national parks and what this might mean for Canada. And Greg David from our Marcom department will tell us about a recent poll from the online publication TV Insider, Revealing the top 50 Christmas specials and movies of all time. Wow. Oh, boy. Greg and his Christmas specials. Wow. Mm. I think sooner or later we're going to see him in one one day, one of the ones shot here in Ontario. Um, Paul, I was the laughing the day with Greg thinking, David, of course. can you imagine that? Oh, my God. Can you, can you imagine, Greg, just the voice of, remember the old TV guide? You check the listings on the weekend, on Fridays when it came out, but they used to have that commercial on TV. This week on TV Guide when you'd buy the magazine. Can you yep. still do that? That still exists? No, no right? I don't think, I don't think so. I think, it's, I think it's all gone online, I'm, I'm afraid. I think so, too. I think it went online, and then I'm not even sure it's still around. But, boy, I, I was thinking about that and used to get such a kick out of that, how different it was. Anyway, sounds great, sir. We'll, uh, we'll tune in. You take care, Cal. Now at Day Brown, on the air, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. Please check it out at your leisure. Whether you do that via watching it live or via the podcast, you can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Rummy, a wonderful show, and we are out of here for today. Yes, we are, Kels. Uh, you are out of here for the rest of the week. Yeah, back on <laughs> Monday, but uh, you and Margaret are here tomorrow. Uh, enjoy and have good shows. Thank you. On part two of our tour of iOS security features, Michael Fair highlights advanced features to help you protect the information on your iPhone. Also on the show, Susan Kearney shares how she's wrapping up the 2022 gardening experience in such an interesting way. We have the Thursday buzz with Bill Shackleton and... Thursday's roundtable guest is AMI's AMI content development specialist in Eastern Ontario, Karen McGee. So we get started on the program at 2 p.m. Eastern. Join us then, folks. I'm waving at you.
one of the things that we have a lot of fun joking about is <laughs> the one particular Wednesday, it's our fourth Wednesday of the month, when we basically have an AMI staff lineup. It's funny because we have Grant on. Then we have Margaret Weldon, who is, is not a staff member, but of course one of our freelancers that works with us and is a backup co-host for Kelly and Company. Move into Jim Crisco, Billy, uh, Alicia Yardley, and back to Grant. So you think, that's got to be one of the easiest shows to do. Well, but then again, sometimes stuff happens, and sometimes somebody's not available, and it breaks it. But yes, yes, a lot of time, it's a lot of fun when you when you get that. And it took us a while to notice you know, maybe the third time that it fell like that, we stopped and said, hey, it's the AMI day again, and makes us smile and laugh about it. So I don't know how many of you out there maybe have noticed and said, oh, wow, isn't that kind of ironic? You know, sort of like on Fridays when we have Grant starting, then John Beeler, and then Sylvie in the Vancouver Hour on Kelly and Company. All right those little things that amuse. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.